0: And the Night, the show where we break down a Batman the Animated Series and review every episode in order from the very beginning. This week we'll be looking at episode 31 of the show, it's our 28th episode, and a little bit of a change this week. Uh, my son and co-conspirator Adam, because... And easing slightly in the uk has decided to go and spend two weeks which is what he has to do legally and carefully to keep himself and us safe with his girlfriend so today i have an incredibly special guest who will be joining me next week as well Whew, what can i say about this guy um one of the finest review writers on the internet and i mean that Absolutely and categorically writing for sites as renowned as DC World UK and Earth 9. He's also a co-writer with me on Dark Knight News and uh, fantastic universes that I own. He's a accomplished podcaster in his own right, being the host of the fantastic show on the comics and motion network, mandatory Marvel and DC, where he breaks down the essential, most important Marvel and DC stories that have become more than just comic books, but have actually, um, inspired movies tv shows or even just permeated into the general consciousness here's the one the only the magnificent max bird max mate thanks so much for joining me
1: <laughs> thank you uh steve for inviting me on this is uh, quite the honor to be on this show i'm a big fan so i am delighted and for magnanimous introduction that was uh quite something thank you
0: those are the facts my brother um actually, we've been friends and co-conspirators for, for a number of years now yeah and um i not only regard your work very highly you become more than just a colleague i see you as a, as a as a true friend and you know you had to be on this show eventually and with adam away what better chance and next week's episode where we look at robin's reckonings a show you said you wanted to be on anyway so uh it's a joy to have you mate ah
1: it's a joy to be on yeah so i I guess the the, uh, the fates have conspired to uh, put me on the uh, the episode I was looking to uh, be on, so that's uh, that's great news. So uh, yeah, very very happy to be here fantastic
0: right this week though we're looking at a very quirky neat self-contained little story called the cape and Cow conspiracy written by comics legend elliot s magan and directed by frank power now this one's a little bit different and max obviously as you're the guest i'll let you start off you tell me the things that first struck you about this episode and um, how it's developed
1: it's a great episode and um, i mean I've not read the original detective comics that this was based on, which was also written by Elliot S. Magin, wasn't it? He's adapting his own work here. Um, and now I know someone like you would probably have read it, or if uh, if you haven't, then I can't think of anyone else who would have. Um, so how does it immediately compare to the original comic? Is it a like-for-like reconstruction, or has Magin sort of gone off piece from his original book? I'm not sure.
0: Well, the one thing about this story that a lot of fans are up in arms about, and this isn't one of the most highly regarded episodes, but I agree with you, I quite like it, is that they think that it's basically the whole character of Josiah Wormwood. A lot of fans are saying, well, why didn't they just use Riddler? Um, yeah. Because it's basically interchangeable. In fact, he looks virtually identical to the Riddler we end up getting. And that's the other thing, but it's like you say, Magin tends to do his own thing. He goes his own way, which is why a script he got a B minus for when he was a student. He ended up adapting into a comic script and it drove DC wild. I mean, he literally had his first script ever submitted, adapted into a comic book. He's he's a legendary Superman writer, so by using Josiah Woodward instead of the Riddler, which is a character we haven't seen in the show as yet, it's just Elliot S. Maggin being Elliot S. Maggin, really. He's wanting to just do things his own way, and I do think that the character works for the story, and who's to say? I mean, it's never said otherwise, that this isn't um edward nigma using an alias before he actually breaks into his own persona of the riddler lace one in the day i mean that's my idea of, of, of explaining it in a way that'll satisfy the fans who hate the character but um yeah. yeah but yeah, like you said he's um a quirky writer and he does his own kind of thing I, what did you make of the character and the situation of the story itself
1: i like really like wormwood I thought he was a really good, worthy adversary for Batman. A very clever, sly, cerebral kind of villain, wasn't he? You always, until obviously, obviously we don't want to jump too far ahead, but until obviously the end reveals the sort of Batman's grand plot, you always feel that Wormwood's got one up on Batman actually, I think. I think he's a really good, um, mental adversary and you're quite right, you could say that maybe he is an earlier incarnation of the Riddler I actually wrote in my notes for this show actually that his clues are very Riddler-esque um, so you can definitely see the similarities and I can understand why some like you said some fans are not impressed why they didn't just slot the Riddler in and have that marquee character rather than this relatively obscure character but I think it works really well I, it's a shame that they didn't make more of the character I don't I think you know I would have liked to have seen him utilised in a bigger way
0: I couldn't agree more, actually, yeah. Definitely, he's a character with potential. But, again, as you said, the similarities are very direct. Down to the fact, as well, that he is, at one point in the episode, I don't know if you caught it, he does have an alias of the Interrogator. Interrogator, asking Mm -hmm. questions, Riddler... Um, making middle so there's that kind of um thing as well but i'm glad you brought up the fact that he's got a, a grand scheme and a grand plan and he's a worthy adversary because there are a couple of times where he does have batman in seriously hot water mm. what did you make of his uh schemes and his traps i
1: thought they were quite ingenious really i did like the 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 um, sort of old-fashioned damsel in distress tied to the train tracks uh, motif—that was great. That um, I really That's like. A it. Classic. it is, isn't it? It's been—I mean, it's been done to death since since films have been around. But uh, you can't go wrong with it. Um, I think that also fits in with the—you uh, know—I'm sure it's something you've probably you and Adam have probably discussed on an earlier show. But it kind of fits in with that ambiguous time setting of this overall show doesn't it It, you know where you although it's kind of set now it could also be set in the 30s or the 40s the 50s so i like that it kind of that consistency with the overall tone of the show is very good um and yeah this this i mean the second trap he sets for him with the um the boiling hot wax that's something straight out of batman 66 in a way you know you almost expect like the voiceover to <laughs> to come up with a night you know saying tune in next week same bat time same bat channel um but it's great though deliciously like diabolical scheme uh did you like it
0: Oh, I loved it. I mean, particularly that trap you mentioned. I mean, uh, sorry to get all pun with you, but he really made Batman see the light while the villain himself waxed lyrical. Because uh, <laughs> <really. laughs> he was the ultimate baddie, just saying, oh, I've got you now, Batman. All he needed was a twirly moustache, really, wasn't it? Yeah. So it was just classic. And like you said, um, we talk about it a lot, because obviously you, you've heard the show, you know that You don't know when this series is set. It's Mm. brilliant. It could be out of any era, not just of our history, but Batman's. It it literally Mm. reeks of the the early um, 40s, late 30s Kane stories all the way up to the the very present. But what I loved about this episode as well is, did you know that obviously that's the first appearance of the Bat-Signal? That's a huge event.
1: Right, I did not know that. I couldn't believe they they, wait, they waited thirty one episodes before putting that in. So you know, such a sort of iconic piece of Batman lore. I did not know that. That's that's quite something, really.
0: So it's another important episode for uncle max to be a part of methinks. <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely so we had josiah when but we also got the other villain of the piece joe and we meet him and it's hilarious because batman literally just takes the guy apart he thinks he's the big i am but
1: mm-hmm. batman
0: ropes him up and gives him a swing in time and then literally leaves him in suspense dangling him over the city and it, it's quite a thing to see but Do you know that he's played by a very, very famous, very well-beloved British actor?
1: He is indeed, yes. Uh, None other than the great John Rhys-Davies, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yes, legend. Uh, Obviously, for us nerds, probably best known as either Salah in um, both Raiders of the Lost Ark and Last Crusade, but he's Gimli in Mm. the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy as well. So, Yeah. yeah, yeah, big time, but... Bud Court, who played Desiree Wormwood, is no slouch himself. That's He's true. appeared in Dogma, Twilight Zone. Uh, he was Toy Man in Superman the Animated Series. Multiple baddies throughout Static Shock, Justice League Unlimited, and, of course, the very classic Harold and Maud. So, um, again, we've talked
1: about it so much. The level of acting
0: talent in this show, what would you make of it?
1: Oh, it's top-notch. It's it's always been amazing to me how they managed to attract these heavyweight actors and actresses to do to just do these little guest spots, like one episode and done. Um it, It's something that DC I think still do to this day, and, and from this point on, you know, through sort of the, like Justice League Unlimited, they had so many big guest names in there playing like villain of the week, and even now with the DC animated films that come out about three times a year, which are brilliant. They always have a great cast of names. They've always managed to do that to attract them. And and this show, I mean, like you said, it's just, when you look at the whole, all the list of episodes, not just this one, but all of them, and you can pick out virtually every episode, there's a, a big guest name in it. It's great how they managed to do that. I'm still kind of flabbergasted that, especially at that time, they managed to, attract these massive names it's quite something isn't it
0: oh absolutely and it's like um the kind of allure that in the uk shows like coronation street and and doctor who have where Mm. every actor does want to make at least one appearance in the show just to say oh i was on this and i was on that but Mm. like you said this is the first season of batman the animated series and yeah batman the the 89 movie and batman returns had literally turned cinema on its head and and are responsible for a lot of what we have today, but actors of that calibre, and Mm. in many instances um, we've talked about it on previous episodes, a lot of the guest actors are legends of of American TV stage and screen,
1: so what do you think was the in then? Was it the fact that it's Batman, or what do you reckon it was, mate? It's hard to say, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I wouldn't have known what kind of level of salary they would have been offering, especially at this time. I can't imagine it was a life-changing amount for an actor of the, you know, the caliber we've talked about, who, you know, you think would be able to command a good fee wherever they worked. Um, So I can't imagine it was purely about the chasing the money, and I can't imagine it was purely about being a jobbing actor and, you know, taking the the jobs as they come, because I suppose as an actor you can't sort of let the grass grow under your feet because you never know where the next, next job's coming from. I think it must just have been a combination of, well, first of all, the material, I think, you know, the writing is that good it must as a as an actor especially a voice actor it must be a real treat to be to be able to do this dialogue that's been written it's you know it's although this is a show that you know it it, it's it is family friendly at the end of the day i've got a five-year-old son as you know and i've no qualms about sitting down with him watching this he loves it but at the same time at the same time um, it's not a It quote unquote in inverted commas, kids show, is it? It's, it is so much more to it than that. Although there's nothing that's, you know, you would deem wildly inappropriate for a kid's eyes and ears. I think it's aimed at a, you know, all ages and there's some, there's much in there for adults. So I think as an actor, it must be a real treat to be able to, to play these characters and just have fun with it. I would say as well. I'd imagine if you, doing voice work, if you're an actor who's not a full-time voice artist and someone who is a, a, a screen, uh, actor or actress it must be a, a a nice change i would say probably to just get yourself in a recording boo with a pair of headphones on and and to be able to create a character based purely on your vocal talents rather than your appearance and the way you look so probably that and like you said it's not very often you get asked to be in um an episode of batman is it so i'd imagine you know that must be a something a, g- a great sort of um notch for your uh, cv i would say
0: couldn't agree more i mean let's be honest if you and i were asked to appear in an episode of a batman cartoon we'd do it for free wouldn't we we'd say what well, yeah okay cool yeah fine. Uh, i'm there
1: yeah i pay them <laughs>
0: <laughs> and like you said i mean it must be liberating because obviously when you're got hundreds of cameras based on you and you're under the lights that that mm. must be a different kind of pressure but mm. getting in a booth uh, either with your, your co-actors or just recording your part on your own you can mm. literally create that character from the ground up yeah. Act as crazy as I can mean, because if you see what I love watching is those videos where they capture the actors in the booth and yeah. some of them just go completely crazy, waving their arms around, screaming into the mic, mm. shaking and jumping, and then it's beautiful to see because they're really getting into it. Yeah. Uh, Mark Hamill's one of the best ones to watch because mm. the looks on his faces—I mean, I can almost think that when some of these actors act. The animators are looking at them and thinking, oh, I've got to use that expression. Oh, I've got to use the way he lifts his eyebrow there. And this is one of those shows um, where you can see that in the animation because they really go to town on focusing on small expressions and the slightest little nuances in the character's voice Mm. and transfer that to screen in the animation. That's one of my favorite parts of the show. What do you make of that in this episode? Because with Batman in particular, he goes through the ringer this week.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's just indicative of the show as a whole, I think, especially for its its time period as well. When consider this is from the early nineties and animation at that time was, sort of quite primitive compared to this sort of sophisticated cgi animation of today uh the fact that they managed to accomplish that at this time you know you know getting close to 30 years now since this originally aired almost 28 years it it is quite something and and like you said i mean they can convey so much in in batman with so little i mean kevin conroy as we all know is the 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 voice of Batman and no one will ever dispute that no matter who comes along and plays it since or you know he'll always be the voice of Batman but they can do so much with it when he doesn't even speak the the way a combination of the like you said the facial expression the wonderful musical cues uh, especially in this episode the music is just it's to die for isn't it I love the, stunning yeah. I mean, that goes without saying. I would expect nothing less from an episode of Batman, but this one—I mean, every time he's about to enter one of Wormwood's traps or puzzle houses, the the the, the music that it drives up the tension, and you can you know something bad's about to happen to Batman because that's the whole nature of what he's walking into. But it is just brilliant the way they do it. I, I, the music in this show—it's, I mean, it is—it's like watching the most epic wide screen cinematic film you've ever seen, but condensed into a, a small screen twenty minute animated film it 's absolutely top drawer isn 't it
0: oh listen, even thirty odd years later, I watch this show and I wonder how the hell they even managed to make it because mm. this was done of the last series that apart from the odd vehicle here and there, was purely hand animated This is guys drawing on, on, on paper on on uh, film, yeah. and again, it's one of the few shows, TV and animated, live action or drawn, that has a fully um, written score individually for each and every episode. And I'm watching it now and thinking, damn, man, it's one of those shows that hasn't aged. I mean, I've seen shows that were made later in the 90s and early 2000s, which don't look or feel as fresh now as they did then they feel dated yeah and do you think that's part of the whole aesthetic of moving backwards in time and not actually knowing when it's set i mean the only thing that dates this really is some of the technology i think
1: yeah yeah i think so it has that wonderfully timeless quality doesn't it it's not like you said when you watch especially you know I was born in october seventy nine so i 'm very much a child of the eighties and when you go back and watch the the cartoons that you enjoyed as a child whether that may be masses of the universe or ulysses thirty one that kind of thing you watch them uh, with you know the rose tinted glasses but when you actually sit down and properly watch them you think jesus Christ these are a so badly <laughs> but yeah. this but this but this hasn't uh, you 're quite right in what you're saying it's they 've really not put that timestamp on it have they they've managed to not fall into that trap um you know it's the same with live action films you know with what you have in them that immediately puts a timestamp on them the technology used you know if you're watching a, a bond film from the seven 70s, 70s or 80s the technology he uses in that automatically dates it to that time period you know um but with this i think they managed to avoid such such pitfalls and um, you're quite right in what you're saying though i mean th- the, the technology uses, sort of the the computer, the primitive sort of computer technology that's used in the yeah. show, it, it does set it back. You wouldn't watch it and think this is a Batman from 2020 per se, definitely not. But it, like you said, it's it's something that it just lives on and it doesn't fall into that trap of being set in a specific time period. I think it's just the, the foresight that they must have had, Bruce Tim and his his team, when they were developed in this show as a as a concept never mind in full bone production it was really clever and uh, you know i take my heart off to them to 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 know that they would have to go that way it's really really quite something when you think about it oh yeah
0: Totally. But I actually think that sometimes that old technology, I mean, every now and then you'll see them pull out a cassette or a VHS tape and you think, <laughs> oh, those halcyon days of my childhood. And I think it's, it's great because I mean, let me know obviously what, what your youngest thinks, but they probably look at that and think, oh wow. So this is must be set when Batman first started and they had different things that we have now. I wonder what that is. And then <laughs> you can explain the technology and that adds richness and texture to the character for the kids. But like you said earlier, and this is something that's brilliant and I'm really glad you brought it up is that this show is one of the few that you can happily sit down and watch with the, your kids who are five six seven or eight but then has so many other things that you only get as an adult because rewatching mm. these now particularly rewatching them with adam and talking to someone like yourself who, who, who's into the lore and into the character mm. there's so much witness richness, richness and, uh, and depth to it there's much more than just a saturday morning cartoon isn't there
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Um, You know, it's not, it's not, this isn't a throwaway uh, show for kids, definitely not. Um, I mean, I wasn't, uh, when this first was out, I wasn't a young child. I was a teenager when this was out. So I wasn't, you know, a a little boy sat watching my cartoons. I I wasn't, I would sort of, at the age I was when this was out, sort of 13, 14 years old, I'd sort of moved beyond that anyway and was, you know, much like every other 13, fourteen year old boy, you know, I was all football and heavy metal <laughs> at that point in my life. Uh which is quite like this that point. Is. Yeah, it's quite like this point in my life actually. I don't think I've changed. I think I've just stayed in a state of arrested development for the past thirty years, but never mind. Um but um yeah it's it, there's so much more to it, isn't there? There's you know, there's there's a darker underbelly to it. Um without ever putting it front and centre and in your face. There's nothing to sort of uh terrorize or traumatize an infant who wants to watch this it's it's just great it just works works for everybody i enjoy it as much now as a 40 year old man as i did as a 13 year old boy um you know like we said earlier you know my five-year-old son will, will sit and watch it with me and i hope when he's a grown man maybe he'll show it to any kids he might have and so on and so on and so on you know i think it's just a show that can you know it can endure through the generations can't it
0: I could not have put that better myself. I mean, let's face it. um, I was 22 uh, when this series started. So I was already um, an adult, but Mm. you've heard me say it a thousand times we're forced to grow old. We do not have to grow up. And (laughs) the fact that I did watch this with my five year old son, and we're watching it weekly now, he's almost 25 and talking about it. Yeah. um, That tells you right there the appeal the longevity and the actual genius that this show has so um brilliantly put well said max but as always i should i should know that that's your (laughs) forte but now we have to talk about the lead character himself because we both have said that that batman's put through the ring on this episode but he's also an archetypal, archetypal vintage Batman in this episode because it's not just gadgets and gizmos. Mm. He goes back to the most basic tricks of masks and disguises and being a detective. What do you think about that portrayal of the Dark Knight in this episode, mate?
1: I love it. I love it because I, I actually kind of prefer that kind of Batman. I don't like it when it's too, you know. I, I do love all the gadgets and the gizmos, but I don't like it when it's too tech heavy. I like it when my favourite sort of Batman portrayal have been the ones where he uses his mind rather than some great piece of machinery. Uh, His mind and his fists is what I like. (laughs) I like best about Batman. Um, And yeah, like you said in this episode, it's all there, isn't it? I mean, you know, without wishing to sort of jump to the end straight away, when you realise how he's been playing the situation from the beginning, it's just genius, isn't it? And proves what a, 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 as well as a great detective, what a great actor batman is as well you know he's able to adopt these wonderful disguises he does it in so many uh, issues of the comics so many episodes of this show he's you know he's done it forever um i just think it, it'd be a shame we'd not yet seen him do it in a live action film but maybe we will one day uh, i love that when he adopts another character with a, a wig or a, a latex mask or something like that completely changes his appearance and his voice um but uh, i think you, you'd mentioned it on one of your uh, your other shows last week actually On, on comics in motion it 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 kind of ties in with that whole concept doesn't it of bruce wayne being uh, an act to begin with so he's yes, he's always acting isn't he so it's kind of it's not a stretch for him to to adopt these sort of outlandish characters when basically when he's not under the cape and cowl he's putting on a big act anyway isn't he
0: you could not have said it better yeah it's, it's all an act it's all yeah. almost like he's playing dress up and playing, but obviously with deadly stakes, he's hmm. adopting his character and becoming someone else. But the way he does it, uh, apparently effortlessly. I mean, I think he must throw a lot of that. To obviously his, his upbringing and Alfred being a renowned stage actor in England before he returned to, uh, serve the Wayne family as a butler. And, yeah. um, th- that's just genius. And I'm praying for the day. Like you said, I, I could not agree more. Why do the films, TV shows, focus so much more on the gadgets and technology uh, and the um, tech savvy side of Batman. When Mm -hmm. for me, I couldn't agree more, mate, is the detective side of him and the street level side of him and him going out and dressing as a tramp or being a a, a a villain in disguise or something like that to get the information he needs and and using his smarts. And then obviously, like you said, we all love a good batfire. And that's something you and I will talk about forever about um, how, very much malign. Some people um, have a uh, low regard for Zack Snyder's interpretation of Batman. For me, it's still the closest to the comic books, that warehouse fight scene with Ben Affleck in Batman vs Superman. That is Batman. One punch, one hit. If he doesn't hit you with his fist, he'll hit you with a crate or slam you to the ground. Whatever's at hand is a weapon. And I need to see more of that on the uh, visual side of Batman. Because as you say in the comics, when are we going to see
1: Matches Malone in the movies, do you think? Probably never, <laughs> uh, which is a shame. That's though a shame, I, I'd yeah. love to see it. I mean, they, to be fair, they have. Well, I guess the proof's in the pudding. We'll see next year. But they have said, haven't they, that Matt Reeves's Robert Pattinson Batman is going to be more uh, detective-oriented, isn't it? So we'll see uh, if, that, if that's the case. I mean, I suppose you know, going off topic, you were saying that why don't we see that more in the in the films? I guess it's you know, cinema audiences want to see crash bang wallop. You know, kiss, kiss, bang, bang, explosions and fights galore, don't they? I mean, that's kind of, you know, what you when you go to see a cinema on the big screen, especially a, a, a superhero comic book film, you don't go expecting a a cerebral uh, plot boiler, do you? Really, you expect to see spectacle, and you expect to see explosions galore and and all the rest of it so i can kind of understand why they don't go down that route with the films i suppose you've got to give the people what they want and you've got to give the general audience what they want because that's where you make your money outside of the outside of the fan base so i can understand that but um i completely agree with you i want to see that on the screen I, we'd never get to see it um in a, in a live action batman we still haven't and maybe never will but uh, hope springs eternal doesn't it <laughs>
0: We can keep our fingers crossed because yeah. he's not just Batman or the Caped Crusader; he is the world's greatest detective, and I do mm. believe that that's an aspect of the character we need to see a lot, lot, lot more of. We saw it briefly with him um, in the first Batman movie, working out the Joker's chemical combination and mm. uh, putting the fractured bullet back together in um, in Christopher Nolan's movies, but yeah we need more of that please and obviously we've now seen a film like joker which i never thought i'd ever seen in a million years because that's almost not a comic book movie at all mm-hmm. but uh, a look at mental health and insanity and, and criminal insanity in particular so maybe yeah matt reeves will finally say listen we've seen uh thomas and martha die a thousand times let's see batman the detective so i'm gonna keep everything crossed mate <laughs> <know> you, <laughs> everything
1: yeah cross. me too
0: so as always um Let's sum up the episode. What was the main parts of the story or character moments that really stood out for you? Things that stuck in your head, either good or bad, about the Cape
1: and Cow conspiracy? The only thing I would say that was bad, I mean, it's very hard to find something that's bad in in this, but the only thing I would say is... regarding the Wormwood character, is when he's got... Obviously, we we learn at the end that Batman's been playing him all along and has been posing as uh, Josek this whole time. But obviously, we learn prior to that that Wormwood and Josek have this deal where Wormwood will take Batman's cape and cowl in exchange uh, with Josek. But when he gets actually accomplishes that and he's um, got Batman in that sort of... Um, hall with the the boiling wax and everything and and the only way batman batman is trapped the only way he can escape is if he relinquishes his cape and cow to wormwood which he does but then he has that sort of zorro-esque uh bandana on underneath it so it doesn't reveal his i'm his so tr- glad you right said that it. yeah why why does wormwood not say to him right take that off as well or else i'll leave you in here to to melt to death he just kind of goes oh well i'm not bothered he, almost says it i can't remember his exact words but he says something like well his his secret identity uh, uh who cares kind of thing uh, you just wouldn't do that would you, you imagine the, the the power you could command if um amongst the underworld and and in general if you knew batman's true identity it's it's kind of preposterous that he wouldn't ask for that as well but you know i think maybe i'm just nitpicking did you did you think that too No, it nagged at me. I totally
0: agree. I mean, I thought, hang on, you've got Batman, but again, um, you might wonder because it's happened to Penguin in the comics where he thought he had Batman pegged and he knew who he was. Mm. And Batman says, well, I'm not going to tell you whether you're right or wrong, but if you think you're right, doesn't that make you a target as well? Because remember, while I have a secret identity, that's five or six hours of the day when I'm not on your ass. If you reveal that, and I'm Batman full-time, where does that leave you? Where yeah. does that leave your friends? Because then I won't have anything to hide or anything to protect anymore. Think about that, will you? Yeah. And I thought that was a lovely little touch well. And maybe, again, would is just thinking, well, that's not what I was paid for, and this might just get this guy even more pissed at me. Mm-hmm. Let me just um do the job I was paid for, hand over the cape and cowl, and leave well enough alone. And, phew, ugh. While I'd be tempted and say, listen, take that mask off too, I would also think, oh, repercussions, this guy ain't dead, and he's managed to get out of everything um, I've put him in yeah. so far, and he's even had a contingency for the cape and cowl. Mm, yeah, I've done my job, I just want to get the hell out of it, and what I yeah. mostly love, Max, and I want to hug you for this, mate, is... <laughs> The Zorro-esque mask, because do you not yeah. again think that's a complete tribute to, as you and I as comic nerds know, the mark of Zorro and that whole thing of that's the movie the Waynes went to see,
1: yeah.
0: um, which has brought slap back into the present <laughs> to Zorro the gay blade in Joker movie, but, um, that that's why he donned that kind of mask?
1: Probably, yeah. It's like a, a, a sort of morbid <laughs> tribute to the uh, the fateful night in question. Yeah, it's a nice little sort of harken back to that, isn't it? It's quite a nice little historical touch, I would say.
0: Fantastic. And again, showing that the writers and contributors to this show are clearly fans of the Batman mythology and history. Mm. So brilliant. That was so much fun. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Um Again, another cracking episode in um, regards to Elliot S. Magin and Frank Powerford delivering um, while many don't find a classic a still thoroughly enjoyable 20 minute piece of TV which we could talk on about even more if we really wanted to but I think we'd cover the main things any last um, notions or thoughts about the episode mate
1: and um, just one little thing, I think, and it's sort of a theme of the entire run of the show, I think, rather than just this episode, but it's always featured. One thing I've always loved about the show is actually quite how fallible they make Batman. They, they don't, yes. yeah, he's he's not, I mean, he is Batman and he does all the Batman tropes that one would expect, but quite often when he's in a a, a tight spot, he does actually sort of Come off quite worse and, and, you know, end up in a sticky situation or quite often in a sort of physical confrontation as well in a, not necessarily against some uber supervillain, but it, it could be just fighting some hired muscle, or some, some goons. He'll actually get a bit of a beating, you know, it won't just be a case of he'll annihilate everybody in front of him which you would normally associate with Batman um because that tends to be the way of it it's like this unstoppable fighter but in this show and in the series in general don't you think he quite often comes out worse than one would expect which is which is quite quite good because it kind of grounds it a bit more I would say Oh, yeah. It's a whole level of
0: realism because you and I have talked about this off the record a lot of times when we when we speak that sometimes these superpowered characters, these virtually godlike beings mm-hmm. um, at a certain age, you tend to lose interest in them because you just think, well, pff, you know, they're going to win. Mm-hmm. Well, that's with Batman and having that grounded humanity in him and knowing that underneath that armored costume or whatever else, he is just a man. Um, mm. That's what makes him far more readable, likable, sympathetic. The fact you can go into every episode or pick up every comic, fearing that whew, could this be the one? Yeah. And, uh, as I see, as you said in the comics promotion show I did a couple of weeks back, uh, focusing on Batman, uh, that that is what makes him real and likable to me. But not only that; it's what grounds him in true heroism that's what makes him a superhero as just opposed to a rich guy with tons of money and gadgets because he's going above and beyond like your firemen like your uh soldiers out out in afghanistan like the nhs workers who have gone out to risk themselves during this pandemic they're doing a job um are they superheroes yes because they're going above and beyond Mm. sometimes putting their life and limb at risk and that's what batman does so guy in a cloak Nah, this guy is a superhero because he does more than any person could. And again, uh, quoting myself, which is quite sad and egotistical, I guess, but (laughs) if you beat him, make sure you kill him. Because if you don't, get the hell out of there and hide because he will come back. He will learn from his mistakes and, boy, are you in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. That's Batman to a T. Yeah, 100%, mate, with you 100. And that's what makes him Batman yeah grand so my friend this has been your first appearance on this show but obviously you will be back next week and i can't wait for that because it's a classic story but do tell everybody out there i mean i spoke about it when i introduced you um you and i are probably uh, slaves to this industry with our (laughs) writing with our podcast appearances but do please tell everyone where they can read your work where they can hear you because listeners this is a guy you want to follow he is amazing uh let us know max
1: well you can find me at twitter at maxie burn which is spelled m-a-x-y-b-y-r-n-e and on there you'll find links to the various uh, plethora of <laughs> websites that i write uh, reviews and things for there uh, comic book base tv shows that kind of thing uh, you can also find there there'll be a link to the um, like steve said at the top of the show the podcast i do which is on the comics in motion podcast feed which uh, steve's uh, Superheroes to Dummies show is also on, which is a great new show. Um, And yeah, Mandatory Marvel and DC is on there. We just, like Steve said, we take a a big... Piece of Marvel or DC lore, you know, it can't be something obscure. It's got to be something big. Uh, myself and a, a guest, different guest every week. We'll just talk about it. We'll just chat about it. You know, it's not going to be a, a, a lecture about it and, a, you know, a deep sort of philosophical dive. We just talk back and forth about what we like, what we don't like, what we think, you know, how it's influenced other, uh, stuff that's come out of it like steve said tvs films that kind of thing video games whatever it is you name it um and we just have you know fun for an hour or so and uh, please check it out by all means thank you
0: Do check it out. It's well worth it. Great listen. And every review this guy writes, read it because there's insight and humor and passion there that you won't get out of many other reviewers. So do check out Max's work. As for me, as always, uh, you can catch me most easily just by doing a Google search for Steve J. Ray. And that'll give you links to all my writing across uh, DC Comics news dark night news and everything else uh, on the internet as well or check out uh, fantastic universes in a google search and i'll take you to the site i own and run with my boy adam but again um on the dc comics news podcast network on this show the main dc comics news podcast but also do catch my colleagues and friends on mad love the harley quinn cast and the spinner rack as well and they'll entertain you and inform you in equal measure and if you do want to check out uh, the comics in motion podcast network boy have you got a wealth of information there do check it out tons of great shows including the brilliant mandatory marvel and dc by max and my own little show uh, just there is a second episode superheroes for dummies where three of us one who knows next to nothing about comics or their characters someone knows a little bit more but possibly not from comics themselves maybe from tv and movies and <clears throat> ultra nerd myself <laughs> talking about the characters you vote for and answering the questions you send us but um, all those shows you can find as well as this one and all the dc comics news shows on spotify stitcher google play and wherever else you find your podcasts and you can catch dark Knight news and dc comics news on facebook twitter tumblr and youtube and instagram as well now max obviously you have heard the show. So at the end of every episode, we tend to ask people something that they, they really need to do. So, What do you think that is? What do our wrestlers and readers need to do, mate?
1: They need to um, stop what they're doing, turn on the TV, fire up their DVD or Blu-ray player or uh, weapon of choice and put on the Cape and Cowl conspiracy because they'll be very, very glad they did.
0: Absolutely. So everyone out there, watch more Batman and read. More comics. (laughs) Thanks, Max. Thank you. See you next week.